Deuteronomy chapter 18, we'll be reading verses 15 through 19, and then you can hold your place there or not, but we're going to go to the New Testament and look at two places in the book of Acts where two different individuals reference this particular passage of Scripture, and that will give us our title and our subject for today's message. Deuteronomy chapter 18, reading at verse 15, Moses, of course, speaking. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And before we leave this, I would just point out to you a couple of things. Number one, verse 15, God will raise up a prophet like unto me, Moses said. And then down in verse 18, God saying similarly the same thing, I will raise them up of a prophet like unto thee. And the reference in between, of course, is when God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, and it was such a fearful thing with all that was going on the mount. And like I've told you, as far as we know, biblically, more people heard the audible voice of God then and there at that moment at Sinai than any time in human history. Perhaps over a million people heard God speak. And you know what they said? We don't want to hear him again. We don't want, we don't want to experience this again, Moses. You talk to us, but not him. It's too much. God says, they spoke well. I'll speak to them through you. And he did. And the promise is, I'm going to raise up another prophet like unto you, and he'll speak to them, and what he says, in a sense, is going to bear more responsibility than what you've said. All right, let's go to the book of Acts, shall we? Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And the context here is Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. They healed a lame man and it caused quite a stir and it gave opportunity for Peter and John to preach the gospel. So this is what Peter is saying concerning Jesus Christ in the previous verses. Verse 22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed 
from among the people. So that's Peter with John his companion right after Pentecost. Now over to the 7th chapter of Acts and we'll read verse 37 where we have this wonderful message of Stephen before he was stoned to death for what he said. He mentions the same thing. Verse 37 of Acts 7. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you like unto raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. So we have Moses saying it, and then two New Testament writers referencing that same thing that indeed Jesus Christ was that prophet that Moses spoke of. So, our subject today is a prophet like unto Moses. And in this, we're going to be dealing with both Moses and Christ in an analogy or a comparison. Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe it's true? Why would you believe that? And I don't want you to answer me except in your own mind. There's more than one answer. Lots of reasons for believing that. A lot of people say, well, the Jews. Yeah, that's a good reason. I mean, they're pretty good proof that the Bible is the Word of God. You know, uh, what you've experienced from the Word of God is one thing. There's historical evidence. There's prophetic evidence. There's lots of reasons. Well, we are going to look at it today from perhaps our furthest point away in a prophet like unto Moses. Because when we look at Moses and we look at what he said concerning the prophet that would come, Jesus Christ, what God gave Moses to write and say, what was written after Moses, what God gave Christ to say and to preach and what was written thereafter, you know what? We've got the whole Bible. In, it, in a sense, you've got the whole Bible focused through two individuals. Now, the Bible makes it very clear. We know what the Bible is. I'll just remind you this in 2 Peter chapter 2 or 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And we've known, and I've taught you before and told you, the Bible is written over a period of over 1,500 years by over 40 authors. And yet it's one continuous truth in other words it wasn't in such a short period of time and short composition that people could have said okay that was prophesied so let's make it come true by writing this or this that you see it was strung out that no human means could accomplish that hundreds of years right it's the most unique book there ever has been because God's its author so in spite of there being 40 authors instrumentally over that 1,500 years, and yet we have this continuity where it all still goes together, which is beyond human comprehension. We know that God is the true author of the Bible. And we'll see that today through our perspective of Moses and Christ. So God's authorship is very abundant and what I'm going to try to say today will be further proof that maybe you've never heard before about that authorship. But the Bible is divided into two testaments, isn't it? We call it the Old Testament 
and the New Testament, don't we? The Old and the New. And basically, the Old goes back and is rooted in Moses. That's where it starts. And the New is rooted, of course, in Christ. So, two Testament, Old and New. Each content and the history in each of these Testaments is of a covenant of God with His people. So there's Old Testament, New Testament. There's also an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Okay? The Old Covenant was indeed the framework of which we have here on the wall, the Ten Commandments. The Old Covenant was known as a covenant of works based upon the divine law. And Moses was the divine lawgiver, was he not? And in that, we see beginning in Exodus 20 through the 31st chapter, about 11, 12 chapters there, in that old covenant where God prescribed there how and what he would require of his people under that covenant. I think everybody can embrace that. And wrap your mind around it, can't you? That, that was the way God set it up. And that's why we call it many times the Mosaic Law. It was not Moses' law. Moses was the instrument through which it was given. Now, in the New Testament, we have what is called the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is a covenant not of works based upon God's law, but it is a covenant of grace, isn't it? And in fact, we can read a prophetic scripture about the new covenant in the Old Testament. You want to turn with me to Jeremiah 31. We will read about that. Part of that has been fulfilled. Part of it is yet to be fulfilled that we're going to read about. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. With my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. So that states the two, references the old, and prophesies of the future. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, will be their God, and they shall be my people. Part of that occurred when Jesus Christ came. The nation as a whole did not accept him, but cried out, crucify him, let his blood be on us and our children, and so it has. There's coming a time when that will be fulfilled in a greater way to the nation that will be in the millennium. We don't have time for that now, but that's the prophecy. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and read briefly just a little bit more about this new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a great, such a high priest who is set right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. 
I'm reading this because we're going to make some references back to it. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, notice that, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much he also is the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and they shall be to me a people. So there are the two covenants. Now, Already we've hinted at, and we make this point, each covenant, the old and the new, each testament, was mediated by a great prophet. And you saw that right here in in Hebrews. Because the comparison is, as our text is, Christ and Moses, or Moses and Christ. Moses was a type of Christ, probably the greatest type of Christ in the sense we're looking at today. So think of that. The Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, covenant of works to the people of God. Yet the covenant, the New Covenant, the New Testament, a covenant of grace by none other than Jesus Christ himself. We have the text before us telling about when that prophet comes, every word he says and you hear will be required of you. And if you are not up to par and obedient to what he says, then you will be destroyed. Now, let me, let's emphasize this point before we press on, shall we? Exodus 19 and 3, right before the Ten Commandments are given. 19 and 3, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and till, tell the children of Israel. Okay, you got that? There's the mediation. God speaking through one man, this great man Moses, the prophet. What is a prophet? A spokesman for God. One who bubbles forth or tells forth God's message. Right there it is. God saying, I'm going to tell you, you go tell them. And God told him from Exodus chapter 20 through Exodus 31. And then when he went down from the mountain after he dealt with the golden calf, he began to tell it. And that's what they lived by and went by. Now, in the New Testament, in John's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 17, we read about the great prophet here who is Christ by comparison from Hebrews 8. And it says, For the law was given by Moses, the great prophet, covenant of works, that testament. But grace and truth came by who? The one that Moses prophesied of, that prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll pursue those two 
in comparison as we go through this. Each testament, when you look at it, Old Testament, New Testament, begins with a section of Scripture, we'll call it, with the history and the teachings of that great prophet. Right? What do we have? The first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Who wrote them? Moses. What are they about? They're about beginning and so forth, but God dealing with the mediator Moses, speaking through him to speak to the people. Right? It's, it's the history of Moses. It's a history of the world, actually. But it's certainly a history of the great prophet of Moses and Moses teaching the people what God said to tell them. Right? Well, what do we have? And, and actually, you know, again, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first section of the Old Testament. What do we have in the New Testament? How does it begin? We have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we have four Gospels, which are unique, telling us about what? The person and ministry, history, and work of that great prophet, which is Jesus Christ. Every one of them, the Gospel of, of Jesus Christ, according to what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't know if you've thought of that before, but it's worthy to think about, isn't it? They both begin the same way focused on the history and teaching of a great prophet. In fact, you remember that scripture in Luke 24, and I believe it's verse, uh, what is it, 24, 27, where Christ on the Emmaus road says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, and we use that many times in reference to the fact that that uh, the gospel is indeed in the Old Testament. Christ is throughout the Old Testament. Types, pictures, symbols. Uh, the gospel was more visual in the Old Testament, more audible in the New Testament, so forth and so on. And the Bible tells us in a scripture that I often tell you is a landmark scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times divers manner spake in the past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, the last great prophet, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. All right, after both of those testaments, old and new, have that section of the history and the teaching of a great prophet, the remainder of each testament, the rest of it, of the Old Testament after Deuteronomy, the rest of the New Testament after John, in that regard, are based upon the life and the teachings of that prophet. Right? So, so it's just like the first five books of the Bible is the foundation, and everything else after that is built upon that foundation in the Old Testament. Likewise, the New Testament, the Gospels are the foundation, and then the other writers in the New Testament, most the apostles, wrote and built upon that foundation, exactly like Paul said, just like the prophets did in the Old Testament. The prophets didn't come on the scene in the Old Testament and come up with a bunch of stuff new and different and totally different and opposite from Moses. No, it was from what Moses had given the law 
and all of that. They built and took that upon and developed it in the Old Testament. Likewise, the apostles did in the New Testament. Now, again, they expounded. They explained the teachings that had already been given. Okay, nothing new, nothing different. The prophets referenced constantly God's law, the Mosaic law, that God's people were required to deal with and be obedient to. And much of the Old Testament, as you know, the prophets were not only teaching law or reminding God's people of the law, but they were rebuking them for their disobedience of the law. Right? So they expounded the teachings of the respective great prophet and engaged in correction. What do we come to in the New Testament? Same thing. We see that they are writing what? Paul writing letters, Peter writing letters, others writing. What are they doing? They are speaking from the foundation that Christ taught. Not something new, not something different. They were building upon that. And like what we've been studying in Corinthians, Paul was rebuking God's people for where they were erring in those things, right? So again, that same similarity between both covenants. In fact, Christ speaking to the Holy Spirit. I've got time to read this. Let me, let me quickly point it out. They're all in sequence in John's Gospel chapter 14, 15 and 16 concerning the Holy Spirit. And this again deals with why there's no new revelation. You know? Uh, God said all He wanted to say through Christ. The apostles who wrote thereafter were, were not coming up with new stuff. They were only building upon the teachings of the great prophet, priest and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in John 14, verse 26, we have here the scripture concerning the Holy Spirit. And note this, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, if people would just believe that, there wouldn't be no charismatic movement today. What's he going to teach? Brand new stuff? I mean, crazy languages, crazy revelation, crazy, all kinds of stuff. No. He'll teach you all things. But what are those all things? The things he's going to bring to your remembrance. Christ is the last word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. The end. The apostles only wrote things, doctrines, elaborated, expounded, and corrected upon Christ and what Christ had already taught. They didn't come up with new stuff. The Holy Spirit role as the third person of the Trinity is to do that very thing. Not to give us new things. It's only going to be new to us, but Jesus is on, and the apostles have already given it. Okay? It's not new from heaven. It's new from the book, and it's new from their teachings. The 15th chapter, if you want to look at a couple more quickly, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send for you and the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall what? Testify of me. He's going to continue just following up on what Jesus already laid down. Not give new, but teach what Jesus had already given in essence and in substance. 
And then finally in that 16th chapter, verse 13, Howbeit when He again, the Spirit is truth, is come, what's He going to do? Give you new revelation? No, He will guide you into all truth. What truth? New truth? No, the truth that's already been stated and laid down. He shall not speak of Himself. Whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. And this charismatic stuff and any kind of revelation or vision or dream or anything anybody has that doesn't glorify Christ, it's man-made. And most of it does not glorify Christ. A lot of the charismatic stuff focuses on the person, like the church at Corinth was trying to do, not upon Christ. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Could it be any plainer? He shall take of mine, my doctrine, my teaching, and show it unto you. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. Well, another noteworthy thing is, each of these great prophets, Moses and Christ, built a house of God for the service of God's people under each of these covenants. Have you ever thought about that? What did Moses build? What was Moses instructed to build when he was on the mount in those, what was those chapters? Probably about chapter 25 of Exodus through chapter 31 is nothing but God's direction for a tabernacle, the contents, the makings, the construction, the priesthood, and all of that, wasn't it? And Moses built it. And Moses set it up, and in fact, let's just look at the very end of it, shall we? In Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, the end of the book of Exodus. It ends with the completion there of the tabernacle and so forth. Chapter 40, and look at verse 16 and verse 17. And thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. According to God's instruction, the great man, the great prophet Moses, who mediated the old covenant to God's people, built the tabernacle. That was where God met with the people, remember? That was where the priests conducted the rites and ceremonies that God told Moses to institute under that covenant, right? So in that regard, that was the tabernacle in the wilderness. What did Christ build? What house of God? But he didn't build a temple, anything visual like that, did he? He didn't build a temple made out of stones and different things like Solomon did. But what he built is the institution we are a part of today, known as his ecclesia, his church. Remember Matthew 16, 18 and 19? Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever be bound uh, loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So again... Think of that. We don't have time to go into all the details, but again, both of them were for the service, ministry, and worship and obedience unto God, weren't they? Great prophet Moses was the instrument mediator of the one. Christ is the instrument and originator of the latter, which is greater. Just as the New Testament is greater than the old, not that the old is bad, the old was insufficient, so likewise the tabernacle was insufficient. But when Christ came, in fact, 
We do not believe that Christ started his church on the day of Pentecost. We believe he started his church in the shores of Galilee in Matthew chapter 10 when he called 12 disciples, commissioned them, gave them power, and sent them out. That's what you got in a church. That's a church. It's functioning as a church in the simplest definition. A church is a called out assembly of baptized believers covenanted together to carry out or or execute a commission, you have every bit of that in Matthew 10. You don't have to wait till Acts 2. Each testament also after that first section of the history and teachings of God's people has a history of God's people in relationship to those covenants and teachings of the great prophets. In other words, when we go to the Old Testament, we have the Pentateuch, those first five books, and then we have Joshua. And essentially you could say Joshua through Esther especially, not getting into any of the prophets or the Psalms or Job. What do you have there? We have the relationship of God's people in either their obedience or their disobedience to that covenant and teachings of the great prophet, don't we? I mean, especially after Joshua, the period of the judges, what do we have? That washing machine cycle of obedience, disobedience. A deliverer falling back into idolatry. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it's a history, isn't it? Of God's people under that covenant. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. You know, back and forth. Likewise, in the New Testament, we have a book called the Acts of the Apostles that comes right after the history and teaching of Jesus Christ. And what is it? It is the Acts of the Apostles, who were the foundation stones of the New Testament church, who were given the commission we have over the door back there to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we have that new church expanding into many churches. And what do we find in the book of Acts? We find obedience and disobedience, don't we? We have a transition time. We have obedience at times. We have disobedience at times. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead right before the church, right? So, we see God working in both the Old Testament and New Testament, whether it was obedience to the things that were set up in the ministries of the tabernacle or the things that Christ taught concerning the church in these two books. Well, I say books. It's not books. One book in the New Testament, a section of Scripture in the Old Testament where we have that history. And then think about this also. In that era following the first five books of the Old Testament and the first four books of the New Testament, these sections cover a period of time when God was speaking to people, wasn't it? I mean, he speak through angels, he speak different ways, different times, so forth. And when he got done in the Old Testament, Malachi, there was what? 400 years of silence after the prophets. God was speaking to the prophets. And then the last prophet, God quit speaking, didn't he? When you come to the New Testament, at the end of the apostolic era, apostolic era, remember, God's done speaking. 
He's done. Remember, Joel said there'd be visions, revelations, and things of the Lord. Uh, nobody's hearing God's voice audibly other than Paul, pretty much, in those days. But when they're done enhancing, expounding, and rebuking on what Christ has said, God's done speaking. We have the written record right here. He's done. It's all over with. So they have that in similar, in similar. And again, throughout the remainder of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament and after the book of Acts, what do we have? We have a record here of, of God's people and how they dealt in relationship and obedience to the things that were written by the great prophet and taught. And again, a lot of it is correction in that, in that respect. But they have that similarity also. These historical sections, as we've talked about, the book of Acts, the New Testament, essentially what we might call Joshua through Esther in the Old Testament, are followed by prophets in the Old Testament and apostles in the New Testament who wrote individual messages, revelations, teachings that God showed them based upon what the great prophet had already taught. So the prophets of the Old Testament explained, expounded, enforced the teachings of the great prophet Moses and the law and that covenant. As I said earlier, they did not deviate into something new. It was all built upon what the lawgiver had given the mediator Moses. Likewise, the New Testament. The apostles didn't take off and come up with all kinds of new stuff on the heels of Jesus. No. Things they wrote in their letters, though they be personal to churches or to individuals, were in direct ties, direct reference to the things that Jesus taught. They didn't say, come up and say, well, Jesus said this, but we're telling you now we got something new and you do it this way. No more than the prophets of old said, well, Moses said that, but that's no good. We've outlived what Moses says. Now it's time to do it this way. No. <laughs> it all is tied together based on the history and teachings of those great prophets. They just expounded upon. And of course, when you put that with the history, then it complements it or augments it in that respect. Because think again, we have the history and we have the prophets fitting into that history. In the New Testament, we have the Acts of the Apostles and like we're studying in 2 Corinthians now, we can look at what Paul is saying in the letter to the Corinthians and when he makes mention about coming or having come or going somewhere else, you can go back to the history in Acts and put what he's saying in the letter with the history of how it happened. And the same thing works the Old Testament quite. Now again, I say all this, think about this. All of this is proving God's author. Do you think a human means could come up with all this? Could put all this together? I mean, with basically two persons. Moses, the great prophet of the old, and then all those writings. Christ, the great prophet of the new, and all those writings. And it's like two railroad tracks. You lay them side by side and we're going through those similarities. Well, the final thing I've got to say to you is, obviously, is that, again, Christ is not only the 
object of this book, both Old and New Testament. But he is the final word, as we said in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. But essentially, he is the source of all of it. Of every bit of it. How do you know that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Bottom line. And he has spoken to us last of all by his Son. And I hope you see this and get this. I've said it many times. Again, everybody that wrote after Christ in the New Testament only expounded upon what Christ had already said. Nothing new. Nothing new whatsoever. Nothing new. So Christ is the final word, and Christ is that prophet whom, as we read in Deuteronomy 18, and was referenced in Acts 3 by Peter, Acts 7 by Stephen, it is his word, get this, that everybody's going to be accountable to. Not Moses' word in, in that sense. Moses' word, Moses' law, and the law will judge people, and the law is good. Christ fulfilled the law, remember? He didn't destroy it. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. And indeed, he did. Let me give you a quick example. You remember how precise and strict and direct Moses' law was? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What was the penalty for committing adultery? Stone. That's it. That's the end of it. Okay. Everybody had the mindset when Christ came that, okay, if you committed adultery, you should be stoned. That's the end of that. You know, Jesus taught that if you look upon someone of the opposite sex, either way, and lust after them, that sin is just as condemning as the act itself. Did he do away with that? No. He told us more about that. He fulfilled, you see. He added to. He gave us more insight, more depth, more knowledge of what was there than what was in the brief statement and practice under me. You see what I'm saying? That's what he meant. So if you can embrace that and grasp that, that is just eye-opening to your understanding. And he did that with everything in Moses' law. Because Moses' law and all the rites and ceremonies and sacrifices and all that was not meant to give us. It could not give us the complete picture, the complete revelation of redemption in Christ. But when Christ came, he took that and began to teach from that substance and develop it just like the example I gave you. To where that, for lack of a better expression, what was in the bud now became the bloom. That's one of the best ways. I, that makes sense to me. I hope it does to you. So Christ was the source of God's final word. He is the incarnate Son of God. And all of this revolves around Him who is not only the greatest prophet that ever was, not only superior to Moses, but even like Solomon, what did Jesus say? A greater than Solomon is here. And Christ was that prophet as Peter and Stephen pointed out to their countrymen. They were both Jews. And they said, this is the one. This is the one that Moses spoke of. And you remember Christ and the Pharisees as we close here. 
Oh, they were so proud of Abraham. They were so proud of Moses and Moses' law and being his descendants and adhering to all that, right? And that was their problem. When the one Moses spoke of came that would be greater than Moses, that would be greater than Solomon, and again, John the Baptist identified him and said, he's got to increase, i got to decrease, I'm not him, but he cometh after me, is greater than me, whose shoe latched, I'm not worthy of door. And he pointed him out. And they wouldn't accept him as that prophet. They wanted to hold on to the great prophet of the Old Testament and the great patriarch of the Old Testament, Abraham. And they missed the great prophet, their own Messiah. And they perished. And so today as we have read, those who hear the words and teachings of this book about Jesus Christ and what he says in it and reject it, neglect it, omit it, whatever, those words are what will judge them in the last day. Thank God today if your eyes are open that you can see not just the great prophet Moses, but the greater prophet, his successor, whom he prophesied of, the Lord Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law is good, just, and holy, but the law is for the knowledge of sin and our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's why it's greater and we have a New Testament, a greater prophet, and redemption in Him. I hope something in that was a blessing to you.